Reeling from all the terrible news, but not sure how to take action? I'm Kelly. I'm Lila. And this is What Can I Do? Each week, we interview activists about how they took action, what got them started, who helped them along the way, and what they do differently next time. In the process, we offer concrete advice on how to take the leap from freaking out on Twitter to making a difference. So let's get started. Hi, everyone. I am Kelly Pollack. This is What Can I Do? The podcast where we help you figure out how to take the things that you already do and apply them to politics and activism and whatever else you want to accomplish. I am here with my co-host, Lila Nordstrom. Hello, Lila. Hey, Kelly. How's it going? Uh, I'm literally melting in Chicago right now, but otherwise things are great. <laughs> how are you? It's, it's an exciting <laughs> week for weather. We had a hurricane in Los Angeles this week. I mean, who knows what what's to come, but hopefully you won't melt during this interview. I am actually, I'm really excited about this episode because our guests today are two women that I saw on a panel at Netroots that was about fandom communities and how to organize fandom communities. And it was, that was something that I had not thought much about previously, full disclaimer, and seemed like such an exciting and interesting place to kind of view through an activist lens and, and community, you know, kind of community to view through an activist lens. And I'm really excited to dive into how kind of pop culture, fandom, and a lot of the communities that don't seem explicitly political that we all are involved in on some level can be harnessed for political good. So our guests today are Sabrina Carton, who is a fan organizer, culture writer, digital strategist with the iconic Wonder Woman actor, Linda Carter. She's also the co-chair of the board of directors at Fandom Forward and hosts that nonprofit's podcast, Fandom Made Me, which is a podcast that has conversations with activists and leaders and writers about fandom and pop culture and how it shaped them. And then we also have Eliana Amiri Israel, who is a writer and producer, a director, who tells stories centered around Black women and other people of color. And she is the creator and director of the web series, Hermione Granger and the Quarter Life Crisis. They were both amazing on the panel that I saw them on. Thank you guys so much for joining us. Thank you me for having us. Thank you for having us. I don't know what that, there's only so many ways to say that when you're on a podcast. Too true. Yeah, but it's true. It really is an honor to be asked. I'm so glad that you guys are here. I'm going to start with our traditional first question. I'll go to Sabrina first, and then we'll throw to Eliana. What is your background when it comes to politics? What Did you grow up in an activist household? Like, How did you come to the moment in your life where you you know, started thinking about how to organize within your profession, within fandom communities and within the sort of, you know, the the pop culture world that you were living in? Well, I grew up in Rochester, New York, the outermost borough. I live in New York City now. So I always joke that Western New York is 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 out there part of New York City. It's not. I did not grow up in a very political family at all. I would say that my experience was representative of you know, maybe the average American family, I think a lot of people don't really engage with politics in their day-to-day lives. They think about it when election time comes or if it's affected their, you know, taxes or something like that. For me, you know, I started to get involved in politics when I was 11 or 12. My mom was volunteering for a family friend who was trying to run for school board. He he won and I believe he's still on the school board. Yeah, we knocked down doors and we 
got signatures from people. And so I started to meet people in my own community for the first time, you know, people that I would never meet. And that was the first time I had ever really taken political action. Um, Of course, my mom and dad voted in every election. And my mom always did the thing where she would bring me into the booth with her because she wanted me to see what it was like to vote. But other than that, I really didn't become an activist until I got to college. It wasn't until about 2011, 2012, that I found out about an organization called the Harry Potter Alliance, which, spoiler alert, is now called Fandom Forward. I, I had engaged with I had engaged with activism through Tumblr and Twitter. I was very much a an internet social justice warrior, and I don't mean that pejoratively. I still am. But yeah, I found really nerdy online communities where I could engage with art and and my favorite TV shows and books and and media through activism. And yeah, it just kind of spiraled from there. And now I am on the board at Fandom Forward. And then Eliana, I know you have a slightly different kind of role in the creative activism space, but what is your background when it comes to political action? The I the funny thing is I think the easiest way to explain my my relationship with activism is that I'm the child of two people who came of age during the Black Power movement. So both my parents were born in the late fifties and they were teenagers in the seventies. And so my mom and you know my mom and my dad. So it was just always a part of our household, like. Black is beautiful. And just this, they they were, they had been shaped by that Black is beautiful, Black power, the Black arts movement. And so it was just always in the things that we talked about. It was in the way that they lived their lives. Um, both my parents started an independent school before I was even born. So I was educated at this community school that they had started. So there was just always an expectation of that you had to be there for your community and then your community would be there for you. So it was just, I don't know that I ever, but the funny thing is, I don't remember my parents being particularly political, which I think is why I never thought of myself as a person who was an activist. They were just community-based people. They were very community-driven. And so that's, that actually has really, like, that very much shapes how I approach the world. And I think that that makes me approach (laughs) politics and activism Um, just from my own personal idea of how to move in the world. But it's really my parents. It was my parents, my mom, like the temptations and all of their like political music and like, like quite literally a teenage girl in the seventies, just being activated by like the world around her. See, we had very different answers, but I will say when you mentioned community, that was the light switch for me. Like I have to admit, I grew up in a very small family that was a little bit insular and when we were knocking on doors and meeting our neighbors and, you know, not just like the people on our street, but people throughout our, our voting district that clicked yeah. for me. Um, and not everyone was, you know, that friendly, like, you know, we met a lot of really friendly people. We would talk for an hour and it was like, uh-huh. Oh God, you know, <laughs> mom, let's, let's go. We can't talk to people for now. We have to keep right. signatures, but, but it was just fascinating to meet people and be in community together. That was really yeah. important to me. That's a good connecting piece. I want to build on that a little bit. And we, we like to think about people finding ways to engage that 
that match what they want to do anyway, like the fun of activism and the fun of engaging. So uh, Sabrina, it sounds like maybe that that personal connection, that finding other people and talking to people and finding community is is part of what drives you and the, the thing that's like fun for you and engaging for you. Could you maybe talk a little bit more about that or about the other pieces of the the activism work that you do that that engage you, not just, you know, something you do because you feel like you have to, but because you actually want to be doing it. Sure. I mean, look, I did not grow up super progressive. <laughs> you know, the internet, like I said, the internet really shaped me in in many different ways. And and college really made me much more progressive. I'm the walking stereotype that Republicans are afraid of. Um, I grew up going to Catholic school, which is not a hotbed of, of progressive activism unless you're, you know, maybe in the Catholic worker movement. But I think that I was, it was kind of a twofold process. So there were conversations about things like reproductive justice and supporting refugees coming to the United States and education reform and queer rights. Like, I think I was starting to become more and more interested in specific issues and and climate change and everything, pretty much across the board, progressive topics. But then I started seeing organizations like Fandom Forward, then the Harry Potter Alliance, contextualizing these issues through the power of storytelling. And at the time, and, and we still do this, although the pandemic has been a challenge for this, but Fandom Forward was started by groups of people who would host Wizard Rock concerts. So they'd have like the Yule Ball, like in Harry Potter, and they would raise money for a particular cause, sometimes, you know, Amnesty International or you know, a hunger relief organization, or, you know, there were so many different nonprofit partners and they would raise money through these concerts. They would, you know, there was like a music, like, like an indie rock ecosystem that sort of built activism into its framework. And that's really how the Harry Potter Alliance flourished, you know, when it was called that. So when I first got started with the organization. It was around 2011, 2012. And I was going to a lot of these concerts. I was attending the Yule Ball. I was meeting the people that I was working with online. And and to be honest, I say it's as simple as it was just called the Harry Potter Alliance. Was there anything cooler for me? I was so geeky. I was so into Harry Potter at the time. And I actually just recently wrote a a piece for a magazine called The Conversationalist about um, parting ways with Harry Potter over J.K. Rowling's transphobia, but also how, you know, queer and trans Harry Potter fans are responding to her transphobia through fan activism. But I was a huge fan and that was my biggest fandom. And so being able to connect social good to my most dearly beloved fandom, it was as simple as that. This is a good segue to talk a little bit about Eliana's uh, web series, Hermione Granger and the Quarter Life Crisis. But I also, I just wanted to note, like, I think so much of the, so much of the way that we talk about pop culture and especially the pop culture that's enjoyed by young women is as if it's like the opposite of productivity. And I feel, I, I wanted to ask you kind of how you approach your work, knowing that that's the perception, but also knowing like from the inside, what fandom communities are actually capable of and what the sort of internal conversations within fandom communities contain? I think, so I'll say this. I was really 
really lucky. And I know this because I, I learned it as I got older. I was really lucky that I didn't like when I, the things that were dismissed that I was into when I was growing up, it wasn't because they were girly or if it was, I didn't notice. Um, but I was just really lucky that my mom, like, even though it was my parents' school, but my mother was the one that was running the school every day and she ran the school with a group of mothers. So there, I, I, I saw these women every day, just, they were the bosses. They like ran everything. So I, it wasn't until I got older and I got out of the school and like sort of out of our little into a circle that I realized that being a woman could be not, you know, like look, look down upon basically. So when I approach my work, I mean, thank God, like I have other hangups. I'm black. So that's a huge hangup, (laughs) but I don't, I didn't, I didn't bring a lot of these questions of womanhood uh, being diminished, you know, into my adulthood. And I, and I haven't, I didn't bring it into my work. And so when I came up, like, even when I came up with the idea for the show, there was never a question of like, it was going to be Hermione and a bunch of girls. I, in fact, when I was reading the books, I'm a, I was a massive Harry Potter fan and I was a massive Hermione Granger fan, which is probably something you could guess. But I was also just a massive fan of like almost all the girls in the books. I thought all the girls were so cool. The athletic girls, Lavender and Parvati, who were like super girly girl, like everybody. I was just like, I could name all the women in the book. They were just also interesting to me. And so I knew that when I did the show, I was like, yeah, like it's not even a question. It's going to be Hermione and her girlfriends. And then we'll have some guys around, but like, it's the girls. <laughs> the girls helping each other, you know, kind of like how, like how I saw my mom and these other mothers, they would, they just helped each other figure it out every day. And so I kind of bring this, there's a little bit of a cockiness, I think, that I approach these spaces with. And I and I mean, I am a female director, so I've certainly had, there are more men that work for me than there are women that work for me. But even with that, you know, and so they're actually the first time that I worked with the guy on my set. And it took me like two days before I even realized that he was trying to um, question me and undermine me because it was just such a foreign concept. Then finally, I was like, are you questioning? (laughs) Wait a second. Do you think you're in charge of this? Like, it was so, it was so bizarre to me that he could even think that. And I was like, I I don't know who you think you are. Like, you, you don't, you think, I don't know who I think I am, but I'm confused on who you think you are. So, so for me, like when I'm in these fandom spaces and I will say, I've read a lot about like the gaming community that tends to be more of a masculine space, but a lot of the fandom spaces that I'm in, there's more women there anyway. So it just, I, it's still not something that, I don't know. It's just not a question for me. Yeah. When Sabrina also Can you, I want to hear your answer to this question as well. And also sort of specifically whether that is like a concern that is shared within, within these fandom communities, like the, the way that, you know, the public sort of perceives, you know, just anyone who's into pop culture, the way that pop culture is perceived as kind of not the equivalent of a social good in a lot of contexts. Like, is that something that is an active conversation within these fan communities? Well, I have a personal answer and then a broader, 
you know, societal answer. So my personal answer is that I have been lucky enough to, to never really have experienced sexism in the way that a lot of other women have. And I kind of don't know why that is. I just have been really lucky as a feminist, you know, even before I was a feminist in the household I grew up in, again, pretty, you know, average household, but, you know, my dad never held me back from, you know, from the thing, doing the things that I wanted to do from getting into sports, from getting into certain media, you know, there were no like girl toys versus boy toys. I, it really wasn't a super gendered childhood. And also the other thing about fandom specifically is that I, you know, I went to Catholic school. I would pray in school. We'd, we would say prayer before classes. I would raise my hand and I would say prayers for my favorite fictional characters to have a good story arc for the week. So I've always been, and that I'm not, I'm not Catholic anymore, that's amazing. but, but that's so representative of the way I've always been a fan. I've always been a super fan and I have never felt that the fanfic I've consumed or the communities that I've been in have been unproductive in some way or diminished. Now, the broader thing to think about is there's an amazing writer and professor named Suzanne Scott and her book, Fake Geek Girls, Fandom, Gender, and the Convergence Culture Industry gets into a lot of this. And you see this across, you know, Star Wars fandom and Ghostbusters and just the difference between how the all-female Ghostbusters, you know, the, the audience response versus, you know, the reboot. They basically rebooted the male version because so many fans were angry about, so many men were angry about the, the all-female version of it. So I'd say video gaming communities, it's like the stereotypical, that's what you think of when you think of toxicity and and subjugation of women in fandom, but that behavior exists across the spectrum. I will also say I recently interviewed Henry Jenkins, who I erroneously called him the father of fan studies. I mean, to me, he is, but he said, you know, I, I, I take issue with being, I, I, you know, I'm not comfortable with being called a patriarch of essentially what is a feminist field. And he was right. You know, so I would say that fandom in many ways broadly has these problems of sexism and racism and homophobia. But I think that the study of fandom and these like fan activist space in particular are often more progressive and, and more diverse. So Eliana, I think people may be thinking about this a little more having, uh, you know, if everyone's just seen Barbie, but I want to talk about how directing itself can be a, a political act, the the storytelling, the the choices you make as a director, as a storyteller, and the way that, that those can be deeply political statements. So I wonder if you could reflect on that a little bit. Absolutely. This is a question that I love. So I think that it's important to really just make it clear, like when you're directing, directing is something where your choices are in every single aspect of the work, right? And that means that you're influencing every single department from the props to the set design, like to the couch that they sit on. You're working with all of those different departments. And, and I think like, you know, it's a technical art, but it also is a fine art. And so like most fine arts, the the better, the more well-rounded of a person you are, the better the work is because we are telling the stories of people. And so that means that 
you do have to, unless you're doing, you know, certain types of films that are not looking to have depth, but are like created to just be cool, you know, visual effects or special effects and things like that. But for the most part, our job is to talk about people and to share people with other people. And that means that you have an opportunity from the moment that the script is written until the moment that the film is like finally turned over. You have an opportunity at every single step to be to be engaged and to make a difference. So like on the Hermione show, for example, that was something where, and again, I'm community minded, but this is, I think the same, this is true for, you know, all projects. There was, we had an all female writing team and that wasn't a bit, that was an intentional choice. All the producers were women. That was an intentional choice. All the leads were women. <laughs> And and there was there was diversity amongst the women. Like they there we weren't just we, there was actual diversity amongst the women, racial diversity, sexual diversity, but there was diversity right it, amongst the cast, amongst the writers, amongst the producers. And so, you know, you can't do the work of a director without caring about people. And I think that at the end of the day, when you're talking about activism, it really is just a bigger word for, for care. That means you care about the community. You care about the planet. You care about culture. You care about people. It's really just about care. And, and that is one of a director's biggest jobs is to just care. So it's, it's completely tied into the work in any worthwhile work. It's completely tied into it. I would actually say that your approach, Eliana, because you're an indie creator, I mean, you're not a Marvel director, or you're not working on a major studio project, your understanding of community is more aligned with the way media consumption exists in the 21st century than a lot of these creators at these studios, right? I think that fan activism is very much a response to the fact that television and film has never been more interactive. You right. know, it's not just about what you're producing week to week. Everything has to be heavily serialized and people are creating with the expectation that there will be memes, there will be feedback mm-hmm. and and maybe activism that comes out of a show or or a film. But I really think that your approach more closely aligns with with what's natural about media consumption today. Mm-hmm. That's beautiful. That's very beautiful to think about. <laughs> I love that. Also following along those lines, you Gave us a disclaimer before we began recording that I hope it's okay that I'm raising, but you also gave the same disclaimer, I believe, at Netroots, which was about that you're not a Marvel director. You're an up and coming director. You're still kind of like figuring out your sort of like your your role in the entertainment field and um, right. and looking for a place, you know, places to land. And I'm wondering if you could talk a little bit about the obligation or the the your interest in kind of exploring more political themes in your work while, you know, looking for opportunities in an industry that is quite competitive and can be incredibly, you know, it's, it, it suffers from all of the isms that uh, oh, society, <laughs> that society has to offer. Think of a polite way to say that. <laughs> ism. Every single ism. Ooh, a hotbed of the isms. <laughs> yeah. I, the disclaimer is that the disclaimer is is a really two part disclaimer. It's like I'm not an activist. I'm a director, and I don't, you know, I never 
I always want to make sure that I'm careful of like, hey, guys, don't ask me because I don't know. I'm just a director who wants to make the show about stuff I care about. And then also, like you said, I'm I'm an up and comer. So, you know, my impact is more like direct to consumer, if you will. Like I'm not I'm not influencing millions of people yet. But I would say that when you are on this journey of doing cinematic work, whether it's serialized or whether it's you're in the in feature films, you know, you're constantly meeting other people that you'll collaborate with. Because the one thing about cinema, cinema is the only art form that you can't do by yourself. You 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 have to do it with other people. And so, you know, you're the conversation, like the people that you sort of collect on the journey, I think that's what really influences how you will. Like I've met people that we don't align, right? And it's really about the people that you're going with. You will gravitate to the people that care about the things that you care about. You'll gravitate towards the people that you, if you can have a conversation about the things that matter to you, then nine times out of 10, that turns into, oh, we should do, we should make something. We should, you know, like a, my, my main writing and producing partner, we were, you know, there was like opportunity for this $25,000 feature film and this and that. And of course, like, because she's a woman and we were just talking, we were like, what if we made a film that like, it's really about Roe v. Wade, but no, no. But if if it's about Roe v. Wade, but it's really about climate change and like the the audience won't even know that they're getting a climate change lesson because these are the things that we care about. And we, and it's, and it's, the the script is coming along very well, by the way, it's going to be very, very good. But the point is that when you are propelling yourself, right, before you have the machine behind you, you have to write about the things that you're thinking about. You have to write about the things that you're in conversation about. Otherwise, you won't be able to finish. Like being an independent filmmaker is really hard because you are your only propeller. (laughs) You are the wind that keeps the machine going. And so you have to be feeding that machine with things that will that will power it, if you will. And so when these decisions come down, when these things happen in the world, it's like, okay, I know that I can talk to my writer friends and my cinematography friends and be like, listen, like, oh my God, what are we going to do? What are we going to say? How how are we going to approach this? And then you'll notice like your Barry Jenkins or, you know, people like that, his DP, who is now a director on her own right, you know, and he's producing her film, like, these relationships go with you as you progress. So the work that you see from a Barry Jenkins today is because he was already going down that road with his collaborators 15 years ago. There, there is no separating, I think, the artist from the message. The scary part is that, you know, studios don't necessarily always want to to deal with those topics, but audiences always show that they will show up for them. There are enough people in the world that care. And that actually keeps me inspired because a lot of times you do feel like, oh, the, the world doesn't pay attention. But like, as a filmmaker, you see what people go see. You see the filmmakers that are just the storytellers, you will, that, that become successful. It, you know what I'm saying? You see the movies that are made into festivals and then you see those writers and directors are working on television shows and like people do care people care very much actually and I know that because I'm a filmmaker 
Sabrina, I wonder if you could talk a little bit about like a concrete example. People might be having trouble imagining like, what is it that a fandom community could do? Like what activist things can they do? So I wonder if you could talk us through maybe one of your favorite examples of this community, a community, whichever community coming together uh, to, to affect change. Absolutely. So uh, a pretty relevant example, pretty recent, actually, an ongoing campaign that we're working on is called Be a Hero. And it's specifically targeted at Disney fans. And that's, you know, Disney has so many different fandoms that includes Marvel, it includes Star Wars, it, you know, Mickey Mouse and Minnie Mouse, whatever. And also, you know, Percy Jackson was a recent acquisition. So um, we're actually working with the heiress Abigail Disney, who is a well-known philanthropist and, and documentary filmmaker. Abby was actually on my podcast to talk about this campaign and and growing up in the Disney family. She's the She's the granddaughter of Roy Disney and the grandniece of Walt Disney. And, you know, Walt and Roy co-founded the Walt Disney Company together. And the campaign is focused on labor rights at Disney and largely focused on the Disney parks, although the WGA and SAG-AFTRA strike have really helped kind of bring this into context that you know, labor rights in entertainment are sort of a, a bellwether for everything that's happening in this country. And this idea that work, labor, especially labor that seems like it's fun to do is often so devalued as it has been historically. But yeah, we put together a petition, like an open letter to Disney from Disney fans. It's Again, it's still ongoing, so we have yet to see what the impact will be. But We've worked with Abby to make a lot of noise with Disney fans around this issue and helping other fans realize that it's not all magic and and fairy tales and happiness for the people who work at Disney. Many of them need to have more than one job and many of them are on food stamps and have to go to, you know, the local food bank and, and they're really struggling to make ends meet. They can't buy their own homes. They can't start families. They can't do all of the things they want to do. And these people work 50, 60 hours a week um, at the Disney parks. And it's, it's just unbelievable, especially because as Abby illustrated in her documentary, The American Dream and Other Fairy Tales, it wasn't always like this. You know, when, when her grandfather and her great uncle opened the Disney parks, Originally, uh, the idea of a CEO making you know hundreds, if not thousands, times more than the average employee would would have been absurd. And so, it's not even just a story about Disney or entertainment specifically. It's a story about the the new renaissance of, of labor unions, and you know what could happen if we we organize in this way. Many of the participants in this campaign are influencers in, you know, the Percy Jackson fandom. We have, I think, a Percy Jackson podcaster. We have people who who have popular Disney cosplay Instagram accounts, you know, Star Wars fandom cosplayers. So there are all sorts of people with a platform who are getting this message out. And so, I mean, signing a petition or you know, using your platform to to get this message out and send a message to Disney. Those are just a couple of examples of fan activism. But we've done hunger relief work. Um, we've done, you know, open letters to Warner Brothers to 
you know, get them to stop using slave trade cocoa products in the Harry Potter parks. And that was actually a successful letter writing campaign. We've raised money for for different causes. And and there are so many different ways to engage. But I would say the, the magical thing about fan activism is that fans inherently, like super fans especially, will have the tools to do activist work. They just don't know it yet. So if you write fan fiction, you know how to write. If you create art, you can do that for, for an activist cause. If you know how to gather a group of people to do a role-playing game around a particular fandom, you know how to organize people in community together. If you run a forum, it's it's about the same thing. So there are many skills that people bring to the table. And yeah, we just want to help people figure out, you know, it's almost like playing Dungeons and Dragons. It's like, which character are you and how can we help you um, utilize your skill set in a really, really like fun way to engage with activism? On the kind of nuts and bolts level, how do you get access to fan communities? How do you like who do you approach within fan communities to get some of these projects off the ground or these, you know, these campaigns off the ground? Well, Fandom Forward was founded in 2005, again, as I said, as the Harry Potter Alliance. And so there was really a grassroots community that grew out of the fact that we were a Harry Potter fan activist organization. A couple of years ago, we rebranded for for a lot of different reasons, not just because of J.K. Rowling's online behavior, because we wanted to take this model and see how it applied elsewhere. Fandom Forward is part of the Fan Activist Coalition, which is a group of different fan activist nonprofits and organizations that are doing this work. So we work with Black Nerds Create, Latinx Geeks, A Tribe Called Geek, um, which is an indigenous fan activist organization, Trek the Vote, which is specifically Star Trek voter registration work. So it really depends. But I would say if we're interested in engaging with a fandom like Marvel, we had a Marvelous Mental Health Month a year or two ago, we'll often do our research and simply just reach out to people who are doing really cool work in different fan spaces and and just invite them to be in community with us. And we often, you know, our model is that we have different principles we follow, but we're not, you know, affiliated with one particular organization. So, you know, we bring the fans, not the issue, and we actually partner with different issue-based organizations. So I'll give you an example. We recently hosted a campaign called Protect Ariel's Home, which was themed on The Little Mermaid. And it was both like a climate organizing thing and a fundraiser for Mermaids UK, which is a trans rights organization in the UK supporting trans youth. So that was one of our partner organizations. And the money that we raised through that campaign went to that organization. And so for each campaign that we do, we typically have a partner that we work with. And we get to experiment with a lot of amazing organizations, not just based here in the US, but around the world. I want to ask you both if you can tell people how they can learn more about what you do, connect with you online. So Eliana, would you like to start? I would like to start. I am everywhere as Eliana Direct. That is my website. That's me on social media. Um, Actually, I was working in the production office on a TV show that 
I'm not even sure ever came out. And there was a really great director who came in and, and he was one of the only directors to just sit and spend time with me and, and talk to me about like what that would look like. And so this is a conversation that's a thousand years late, but it was very important. Like that name, Eliana Direct on social media means a lot to me because I always tie it back to this conversation that this guy had with me just to be like, hey, this is the beginning of of you um, doing this. But anyway, I'm Eliana Direct. I am on all of the platforms and I'm getting on all of the ones that are going to be coming up. I'm very active on Twitter, but we don't know what's happening with that. So wherever is the next landing place for the people that like to talk, that's where I'll be as Eliana Direct. We'll also put everything in the show notes, but Sabrina, go ahead and tell us how how we can connect with you as well. Right on. Well, personally, I am Sabrina Carton at Sabrina Carton on Instagram and Twitter. For Fandom Forward, we are Fandom Forward pretty much on every platform except for Instagram, which I think we're still the HP Alliance because of some some stuff with Zuck and and keeping our our blue check mark, which is less and less important these days, apparently. But yeah, you can visit our website, fandomforward.org, where you can actually download a very nifty toolkit called The Best Organizing Strategy You've Never Heard Of. And that was created by the Fan Activist Coalition with Fandom Forward. Uh, You can check out our current campaigns and, and of course, follow us on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, TikTok, YouTube, every site. (laughs) Oh, I should say you can actually, the only thing that's different is my YouTube. I mean, that's in my production company. So if you want to watch any episodes of Hermione Granger and the Quarter Life Crisis, YouTube is actually Sunshine Moxie. That's a good name. Thank you. Before we go, is there anything that you were desperate to say that we didn't ask you about or want to add? I just want to actually add that when I was getting Hermione Granger off the ground, because I was a Harry Potter fan, I had was actually very aware of the Harry Potter Alliance, as they were called at the time. And, you know, for me, they were such an I, I would I donated some of the campaigns that they did. I followed a lot of the work that they did. And it was such an honor for me when the Harry Potter Alliance at the time reached out to me to participate. Um, And they reached out to me to just see how they could participate in what we were doing. And so that was that relationship was formed because HPA, which is now Fandom Forward, saw that we were doing something where we were uplifting different cultures and uplifting diversity. And that has been a very fortunate relationship because it really showed me um, just what was possible to do with the things that I love. So to Sabrina and to everyone at Fandom Forward, thank you so much building a relationship with me and for maintaining that relationship. It has definitely affected and impacted the way that I direct. That is so beautiful. And to add to that, I would say that fan organizing and fan activism has just been this dream job. I mean, it's not exactly my, my day job, but it has brought me to this important place where I feel like I can have an impact and also do something that I love and really geek out and and meet really cool people like Eliana. And I, I just, I love this idea that we're entering this era where it's not just fans organizing and engaging with activism through pop culture. The creators of media have a space with us too. And I really think that this partnership between 
Eliana and, and fandom forward and, and other creators, hopefully in the future, that really speaks to, to something important. So thank you, Eliana. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, that was nice. We, we did a, it was right before the pandemic. So we weren't able to carry it forward, but in 2020, I was actually able to bring back the actress that played Hermione and we cast her in a fictional presidential campaign, Granger 2020, and it was going to be for vote like a voting drive. And again, that was one of those things that like we had this black female presidential candidate, you know, we were going to use that to encourage people to go vote. And that was a dream project for me because that was that was combining everything that matters to me. So so that's what I wanted to just share that that the work is still being done and, and I'm happy that I'm a part of it. We're we're happy you're a part of it too. <laughs> and thank you, Kelly and Lila, for for inviting us and asking these questions, having thank this you. conversation with us. Thank you so much. This was really fun, and and I I think it's really inspirational to think about how you can really build activism into everything. So thank you so much. Thank you guys. Thanks for listening to What Can I Do. You can find show notes and credits for this episode at whatcanidopodcast.com. To the best of our knowledge, all audio used by What Can I Do is in the public domain or used with permission. Original artwork is by Matthew Wefflin and used with express permission. You can find us on Twitter at whatcanidopod. To contact us with questions or guest suggestions, please email hello at what can I do podcast.com. If you enjoyed this podcast, please rate and review and tell your friends.